from Argus Media, this is Driving Discussions, a podcast series focusing on the forces that affect road fuels globally. Greetings and salutations once again. I'm Jason Metko, spot ticker reporter here at Argus. And on this episode, we're catching up with our guest, Senior Vice President and Global Head of Oils here at Argus, Stephen Jones, on the current dynamics in the U.S. oil and fuels markets. Stephen, good to have you back on the podcast. We have not spoken since June, and a lot has taken place since then. So let's lead off with getting us caught up on what's happened since the end of the sixth month of the year, sir. I appreciate it, Jason. Good to join you again. And, yeah, a lot has happened since we last visited uh, back in June. In early June, since then, you know, we were talking about how the demand growth was continuing to rise through the balance of this year. On a global basis, we were aiming for... 2 million barrels a day year-on-year growth at least, and similarly for next year. But since then, gasoline season has has come and almost gone for the most part. Uh, when In the U.S., we see that we breached you know, last year's levels that pretty much have now since been curtailed in the balance of, of the July holiday season coming into the balance of August ahead. And part of that's somewhat demand destruction oriented, but less so than we see elsewhere in other global markets where demand has come off quite a bit. But it's still a market driven by distillate requirements. And the European requirements for diesel, overall distillate, and the shortage of supply from uh, the Ukrainian conflict from Russia, both affecting trade patterns and sanctions, are shorting the supply side. So we still are in that situation where overall refined product requirements are supporting the market spreads. Market spreads were extraordinarily strong since we last talked into June into July. Here we sit in early August, the the spreads have collapsed. The refining margins have narrowed, but they're still, by most historical contexts, very strong. And, you know, the earnings for the last quarter, as just recently reported these last two weeks, pretty much confirmed that uh, refiners were running all out and making good money off of the strong crack spreads. And that kind of mentions, kind of harkens back to one of the issues you and I were talking about in June, is the tightness of refining capacity really excusing the crack spread strength of the refining margins, product prices relative to crude to be so strong. In actuality, it's, it's certainly decent rationale, but when we look at the current market, we're still running 95-plus percent utilization in the U.S., and crack spreads came down before refining margins, or I should say before refining runs, really came off. And we're still moving into a period of time where the Russian sanctions by the EU are going to kick in later this year. So we're not out of the woods from an overall product fundamentals in support for refining and refining margins through the balance of the year. Yes, the gasoline crack has come down. Distillate crack is off some. But all told, there's still very decent margins for refiners right now. And I believe I heard the CEO of Chevron recently say there's not going to be another refinery built in this country. I don't see that happening. What are your thoughts on that? No, well, actually, uh, there is talk of a potential new refinery that's being studied. Uh, whether or not it happens, who knows. There is still talk of, like, the Lion Delta Cell Houston refinery shutting down by the end of next year. It's being talked of potentially going into some form of, of uh, recovery or, you know, a recycling-type operation or such. But uh, the bottom line is that refining margins are still likely to be decent enough to continue to see investment in existing assets. 
I think the whole context of saying there will never be a new refinery built is misleading. Yeah, probably it never makes sense to do a grassroots refinery and have to invest in all the off-sites infrastructure and other things versus take a current asset and just expand it. And that's what we've done for decades. Even though we hadn't built a, quote, new refinery since the 70s, we've increased the capacity of the U.S. fleet almost on a, you know, world-scale capacity increase for year averages year after year. Um, Yeah, it goes through cycles, peaks and valleys, but for the most part, you know, refining capacity, we did lose a million barrels a day or so in the U.S. to shut-ins during COVID, pre-COVID to post-COVID, three million barrels maybe globally, but we got new capacity starting up elsewhere in the world too. The issue on the strength and crack spreads has been from the supply disruptions, not supply losses, but having to take crude to Asia and Middle East, refine it and bring products back to Europe and the U.S., and the U.S. still exporting to Latin America and Europe. Uh, so the increase in cost of additional trade, time and travel, inefficiencies of running other assets that are less efficient for the crude available and whatnot are all additive to increase those spreads. And so when we look forward, I think that's indicative of the ongoing challenge still in front of us. Um, you know, one of the questions that uh, keeps coming up is, are we in a recession, right? And you and I were talking about this uh, over the past few days. The U.S. data for second quarter GDP just came out last week, and it was minus 0.9% uh, for U.S. GDP, basically negative growth. So that's the second quarter in a row of negative growth, and technically many comps say we're in a recession in the U.S., um, and it's almost academic in that respect. The consumer is still spending. The core CPI numbers still look reasonably strong. Inflation's extraordinarily strong, but the core CPI takes out food and fuel from that cost indices. And the consumer uh, support is still reasonably carrying some momentum into what looks to be a, a major slowing economy. And we're starting to see it in the housing market and elsewhere. And when we start to see the, that broad economic slowing, then we'll see demand come off in terms of rate of growth. But it's still positive on a global basis. And I think that's where the main point of interest here falls. When we look at the global economy, even if we have a global slowdown and a recession in the U.S. that really meets all the criteria, that uh, you know the, the economist will come about and confirm at some point. Uh, you know we would still expect to see global demand growth upwards of four to five hundred thousand barrels year on year on product demand. That compares to historical growth of 1.2 to 1.5 on averages. It compares to what would have been without a conflict and high energy prices and everything else a growth that might have tested 2.2 million barrels a day year-on-year growth. So it's a remarkably lower growth number if, and I stress if, we end up in a recession. He is Stephen Jones, Senior Vice President and Global Head of Oils here at Argus. This is Driving Discussions. So we've touched a little bit about what's happened since we last convened in June. We're basically at the halfway point now of the summer driving season how are things coming into play in your estimation? Well, I think, uh, you know, there's clearly slowing demand growth in U.S. gasoline. We're, we're into August. Uh, you know, the July 4th season 
disappointed many uh, industry analysts in terms of expecting very strong gasoline requirements, but it was being talked up as major gasoline demand destruction due to the high price levels. There's no question that we didn't consume as much gasoline as we would have otherwise if prices had been softer. But there is no strong correlation, as mentioned before, uh, in gasoline price relative to demand. It was still growing. Still is pretty strong relative to the current market environment. But now the prices have gone down considerably since sitting $5 a little more than a month ago. That's right. And, and a lot of that is the trade momentum, the contract roll on gasoline, other things that have happened with some profit taking coming off the heels of summer as we move into the shoulder season, into the fall ahead. Uh, I mean, we've still got August travel season and then into you know school starting in the U.S. and other things that will get our rhythm established at a baseline. But nevertheless, you know, from an economic headwind standpoint and the concern around a session, uh, everyone uh, from a, a oil market trade sentiment standpoint expects slowing in demand growth. Still positive, but slowing. As I mentioned on a global basis, even if we have a full-on slot recession on a global outcome, you know, we would still see four or 500,000 barrels a day year-on-year growth. And I think the outlook moving into the balance of the year is we still have the SPR supplies in the market that are, you know, strategic petroleum reserve is supplying about a million barrels a day accrued to the market right now. That's going to begin slowing as as the original 180 million barrels that were sold and 120 some odd delivered and another 70 or so to go. And we got uh, another 20 million barrels on top of the original 180 that will extend that supply for a while. But that will eventually begin to into the run of its course. We had OPEC that just met today, and uh, it only increased uh, the pledge, if you will, by 100,000 barrels a day. So we still got supply side issues there. Limited new production coming on stream from OPEC, limited uh, supply from SPR that will begin to curtail. We have the EU-Russian sanctions coming up that begin on the crude side December 5th and products that that begin in uh, February 5th. So through the balance of the year, we're going to start seeing a curtailment of the dependencies of the Russian supplies. So we have the supply side concerns still with us. U.S. crude production is setting, you know, new record highs, if you will, 12 million plus barrels a day. We would expect production to continue to increase, but the financial discipline and the shortcoming investment in the upstream still has a concern around the short supply side there, you know, and a, a market balance. So if you accept today as being a steady state, say $100 Brent uh, on a global crude market price basis, and we look at the, the current demand levels still going to grow through the balance of the year into next year, even in a recession, and we, we basically are still $100 barrel crude with those threats and the supply side uh, being constrained. A couple more minutes here with our guest, Senior Vice President and Global Head of Oil here at Argus, Stephen Jones. This is Driving Discussions. And, Stephen, let's look to the future here the next couple of months. You know, one of the things we haven't touched on is the wild card, that is hurricane season. It's still going on. It's been very quiet, abnormally so to this point. But as many observers of meteorology know, August and September can really mess things up in the Gulf. They can, and they are still likely to do so. You know, and it's just one more of many factors that are 
leaning against the oil market in in price support levels, if you will, for price support for product, price support for crude prices. Uh, we have not had major events or any curtailment due to storms so far. We are still running at 95% utilization. In the Gulf Coast, pretty strong utilization for that matter. And so we are very dependent on you know, a stable operating environment. The historical storm seasons relative to the current forecast is supposed to be above average for this season. And yet we are maybe behind on named storms so far into August. But you're right, August into September are usually part of the more aggressive storm seasons. Industry, generally speaking, has been hardened, if you will. Uh, we've learned a lot through some extreme aggressive, severe storm damage outcomes. Yeah, especially the in the last years. couple of years, look exactly. at Lake Charles getting hit, and of course we had Harvey exactly. here in Houston. Yeah, and so a lot of those you know, extended downtime impacts haven't been due to just outright equipment damage, but power supplies to the refineries or uh, other issues that are infrastructure-related as opposed to just equipment itself. And I think a lot of that has been addressed over the years. Uh, doesn't mean a direct hit won't have a downtime. But I think our, our resiliency of rebounding back was is directionally a bit more improved. But yeah, the you know high utilization, high dependency in a market where we're going to lose some of the Russian distillate supply requirements, and how dependent Europe is on U.S. distillate exports is going to be with us. And uh, and so we're all sharing in that market exposure for storm season ahead still. And other factors that might come into play in the next couple of months. Well, as mentioned, you know, the EU sanctions, uh, it remains to be seen how exactly that will play out and affect the market. And it kind of begs the question, as we move into the full period of next year and beyond, you know, there's there's all kinds of, uh, you know, upside to demand if we're, we're, we're seeing exposure from the economy. And even in the worst case, we'd still grow four or 500,000 barrels a day. OPEC's still expecting demand growth to be, you know, closer to 2 million barrels of demand growth next year. Our base case is similarly very large for next year. Uh, so as we move into the balance of the year, the, the key exposures will be how does the SPR play out? How will non-OPEC crude production continue to grow with the drilling activities in the Permian in the U.S.? Uh, how stable will refinery operations be through the balance of the year? Will we continue to see trade helping fulfill and rebalance part of the European demand requirement uh, through the the sanctions that are being self-imposed, if you will. And and we're in a tinderbox from a geopolitical standpoint, right? Uh, Pelosi just visited Taiwan. Um, there's long-standing potential geopolitical uh, tensions that remain, not just the Ukrainian-Russian conflict, but beyond. And we're going into midterm election, and there's a lot of U.S. political stance that's evolving at this point in time. Uh, and yet we just passed, uh, or, you know, the expectation is that the Inflation Reduction Act uh, will be passed, ultimately, which is going to be another infusion of $369 billion into basic energy security and climate change spending over many years ahead. But, you know, we're talking about the U.S. Fed raising interest rates to try to curtail inflation, and we're putting more and more money into the marketplace increasing liquidity and spending and pulling on resources. So we are in a situation where supply chain management is, is still one of the major problems for our economy. 
find out what happens in the next couple months, and he'll keep us surprised as always. Stephen, appreciate the time, my friend, and we'll oh, talk to you, you down, down the line. Enjoyed it. Stephen Jones, the Senior Vice President, Global Head of Oil here at Argus, and that will do it for another edition of Driving Discussions, a production of Argus Media. Friendly reminder to check out the previous episodes in our series, and for more information on Argus's global refined products coverage, visit argusmedia.com forward slash oil dash products.